Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sitcom Club. Joining myself, Mooncat, is your Paolo Joe. Hello. Pardon? Oh, sorry, I was yawning. Oh, it did come across there, yes. Yes, sorry now, about that. Now, for those of you listening in the wee small hours when there's only a choice between ourselves and, say, ITV Night Screen, then that's quite acceptable that you're having a bit of a yawn. But what about people who are listening to this at, say, 2 o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon, you know, early closing day and what have you? Why are you yawning like this in the middle of the day? I don't know. Hang on a minute. Oh, hang on a minute. I've just realised this by accident. It actually is two o'clock where you are right now. Just drop it. <laughs> Don't make a big thing of it. Well, I've got something to perk you up. We are going to talk recasting. We are going to come back to a topic which we discussed a few months ago on the podcast. And it was a bit of a funny one because it actually came out of a completely different topic but we just started rambling about the subject of hey do you know who would have been good in that role this person here and so on and before we know it we'd spoken for about an hour so that actually became a podcast all of itself what do we mean by recasting i mean we're not just talking about pulling names out of thin air it's not like any kind of lottery or anything like that it's just as and when we're watching different shows, different sitcoms, sometimes a drama, whatever it may be, we sort of think, hey, do you know what? There's a bit of similarity here. For example, when we're talking about the squirrels the other week, I suggested to Ocho, Ken Jones, Rigsby. And there are, of course, real-life situations with, for instance, the original Rigsby, or Rooksby, as he was in the stage play, it was Wilfred Bramble. Aha. Now, speaking of stage plays, before we get down to it, do we want to address something which we spoke about in the podcast many moons ago, and which has finally been answered, which is the cast of the origin of Ever Decreasing Circles? I don't want to steal anybody's thunder, so I think just point everybody in the direction of that blog, but yes, that's a great read. It is indeed, yes. It's by a chap called Jason Hazley, and if you go to his blog, you'll see a post about the play which was originally called... Hiccups. Thank you. And then later on, a chap by the name of Justin Lewis came along and provided some information about the original cast lineup as well. Because as we'd spoken about previously, I think it was originally, was it not Sam Kelly who was in the role of Martin? Yes, we'd, we'd known half of the original cast, but vitally, we didn't know who was playing Paul, which was the thing that really interested us the most. And of course, as we find out, Paul in Hiccups is not Paul in Ever Decreasing Circles. So do have a look at that. It's very well worth a read. Foreverdecreasingcircles.blogspot.co.uk Now, before we unveil our lineup, we did ask on Twitter and Facebook for your own suggestions for a recasting. Lapscat said, I sometimes wonder how much better the young ones would have been with former soldier-turned-offer Chris Ryan as Mike. We'll just have to wonder about that ourselves. Yeah, I've never seen him in anything else. In fact, I've never seen him in anything. Has he done personal appearances? I'm, I'm sure, yeah. He must have done the Paul O'Grady show at least once. Probably, yeah. Well, actually, this I'm not going to leave people with a cliffhanger, so let's actually just sort this out right now. We're going to go over to the Chock-A-Block computer, and we're going to find out. Chris Ryan, not Mike from The Young Ones, did have a Sky One show in 2005, in which he described how not to die in various life-threatening situations. And also he had a show on Bravo as well, called Elite World Cops. So there you go. So he's bound to have made public appearances. He probably cut the ribbon and opened a Morrison store at some point. 
I can't prove that, but, you know, it's possible. Now, over on Facebook, Birdie had a couple of suggestions. One was David Jason recast as Arkwright. Oh, hang on. That's cold. It's a little dig. <laughs> and also, it didn't have Hot Mum recast with the cast from You Rang My Lord who aren't already in it. Now, I've got to think about this one because I've got to think who isn't already in it. So we've got Donald Hewlett and Michael Knowles. They're both in it. Now, have we got any other crossovers with You Rang My Lord? Jeffrey Holland appeared in a couple of episodes. Be a lot of women, one, wouldn't there? Yeah. It would change things slightly. It would, yes. And Melvin Hayes, he wasn't in You Rang My Lord. Well, actually, are we going to do a straight swap? Are we going to have the cast of In Half Hot Mum doing You Rang My Lord? Or are we just going to force the remaining cast of You Rang My Lord onto It Ain't Half Hot Mum? So suddenly, what's what was Melvin Hayes' character? Gloria? Gloria. Suddenly is no longer top of the pecking order of female impersonators because they have actual women. They just get a telegram saying, change of policy... There are now actual women. Well, the thing is, you say that Gloria wouldn't continue to get top billing. Would Gloria be on the bill at all if there were actual women? In <sighs> He's just be the... on the side, pulling the curtain. Oh, I suppose so, yeah, but he wouldn't be best. You've turned it into a tragedy. Yeah, he'd, oh, he'd be. This is be, now the downfall. He'd be terribly upset, wouldn't he? Yeah. He wouldn't, he wouldn't take it well. No. Yeah, I mean, we, well, we don't want the influx of the new cast members to suddenly cause disruption to that extent i mean this is becoming like two offices merging and you've suddenly got like an intake from another office so yeah i mean could it be for example in terms of just recasting i'm not sure anybody could fill windsor davis's shoes or donna stills for that matter i mean you could put jeffrey holland and paul shane in those roles because there's a height difference but i think it would be a different chemistry I don't think Paul Shane's quite as lovable as Don Estelle. And Jeffrey Holland could put himself in the role of the slightly aggressive, but he hasn't quite got that Celtic fire. But yes, I think we've answered it. I think that you'd have to create some more roles, particularly as you'd have a lot of women coming you'd into the show. You'd have to change the dynamic in there. And also Johnny Mahoon on Facebook suggests Ronnie Barker for Reggie Perrin, which of course was David Nobbs suggestion. You had a theory about this because you said that you think it would have somewhat changed the character. Well, I have a couple of Reggie Perrin-based concepts jotted down, so we'll get to that later. Incidentally, speaking of Lennon Roster and Reggie Perrin, if you haven't already seen it, have a little look at our Twitter feed, because a few days previously we tweeted a link to an interview conducted by Imperial College Student TV with Leonard Roster in his home in September of 1980, and he talks a great deal about Reginald Parent. Johnny also mentions the much discussed on the Twitterverse original idea for Red Dwarf, which was Alan Rickman and Alfred Molina. I can see it working, I can imagine. I mean, certainly perfectly versatile. I think actors, Alan so... Rickman would be even more sour. He become hateful in a way that Chris Barry wasn't. Yeah, I mean, Chris Barry has got. Rimmer is by a country mile. He is not the most likable of people, but he does have a certain vulnerability about him. Now, both Alan Rickman and Alfred Molina, of course, are hugely versatile actors, but I just get the suspicion that, yeah, I think that maybe I'm looking at this through the prism of the roles that Alan Rickman is most famous for. You know, I mean, like, I'm talking like the big movies like Die Hard and Robin Hood and so on, and playing the pantomime villain 
it's sort of hard to imagine how I just think the character as written he will pick up and run with the disagreeable aspects and he's very good at conveying a certain kind of rage at not being as well treated as he thinks he ought to be it's not a case of him doing it wrong it's a case of this character will be completely new to the world he doesn't have a previous performance casting a shadow over him <coughs> Toby Jones <coughs> <laughs> can we talk about the Dad's army movie. I think we yeah, well, I think we should we should address it. There was a big story the other week that there's going to be a new big screen version of Dad's Army. And from what has been announced, it does sound like this is legit. I mean we've heard all manner of ridiculous stories over the years about how there was gonna be a new carry on film and so on, all this kind of stuff. But this one they've actually got a full slate of actors and so on, and so yeah, it does appear to be the case that it's gonna happen. And I've just got a funny feeling that it's going to just happen. That's as much as I could possibly say about it. I think it's going to happen in the same way as the new Sweeney film happened and the new version of Minder with Shane Ritchie happened a few years ago and Arthur with Russell Brand happened. I think it will just be a thing and you'll hear lots and lots about it when it comes out and they'll be all over the one show and if movies games and videos was around today <laughs> alas then they'd be all over that as well and then i think it'll just quietly fade away and then after a while sort of people will remember oh yeah didn't they bring that back once yeah i mean while of course the repeats will still be going strong it's on just saturday nights on bbc2 by the cast they've gone for they seem to be casting actors as actors as parts we're going to get toby jones as arthur law as george mannering or oh, that's definitely the risk. I mean, Toby Jones is not going to turn up and say, look, I've got some really exciting new ideas to take this part. I'm going to do it in a completely different direction. But shouldn't they're, they're they? Not going to, nobody's but, going to welcome that. Well, but what, but yeah, that's, that's the thing. That's the thing. You, why, why not do that? Why not actually say, right, there's no point in getting, and I don't think that he would want to do it, there's no point in Toby Jones being Arthur Lowe, being Captain Mannering. There is no point to that because it's been done. So why not refresh it and, and just it's just, is there enough in George Mannering that isn't Arthur Law? This is when you have a character who is... Saying a cipher makes it sound like the writers haven't done their job. Of course they've done their job. But when there's a character which has been given a lot of room for the actor to push it into a certain direction and eventually fill the role, if you then take it in a different direction, do you have the same character? I think it would have been useful for this discussion if I'd seen the Dad's Army stage show from a few years back, which I think had Leslie Grantham and others in it, it would have been nice to actually see how that happened and how the characters were portrayed and so on, and to see whether they sort of brought their own characterization to the part or whether it was more a sort of homage to the actors as much as the characters. Do we know anything about what the storyline is going to be? I mean, is it going to be a retelling of the storyline from 71? There is suspicion that there is a German spy in Warmington and also a glamorous lady journalist has come to town. Oh, I see. Now, in Trail of the Pink Panther, that was Joanna Lumley. In Dad's Army, I believe it's going to be Catherine Cita-Jones? Yes. Ian Lavender's going to be in it, isn't he? If that doesn't happen, if there is not a fleeting glimpse of Ian Lavender in this new film, then that is such a wasted opportunity. He must be in it somewhere. He might do a Jonathan Harris explain for oh right you i was counting down five seconds for you to say who the hell is jonathan harris if you said jonathan morris from that beryl marston then i would have known who you meant you know they made a lost in space movie about 20 years ago oh right okay and they have cameo appearances from the original cast 
And there's one in there, and you can tell that it's meant for the original Dr. Smith, but it's not played by the original Dr. Smith, because apparently they asked him, and he just went, I don't do cameos. Fair enough. It can be annoying when you see a resurrection of something, and it's like, oh, we're going to have to slow down the plot and the development so that somebody from the original cast can come on and go, hmm, remember me? Okay, I'm going to be quite brazen here, and I'm going to give... I mean, how bloody cheeky is this? Who the hell am I? But anyway, I'm going to give the writers of the new Dance Army film the Ian Lavender cameo right now, right? Take it from me, use it. I'm not going to ask for any monies, unless you want to give me some. But okay, right, so you've got the new Pike, and he runs into a telephone box. And coming out of the telephone box is a character, without a name, played by Ian Lavender, and they bump into each other. And Pike says, oh, sorry about that. And then Pike runs into the phone box and Eden Lavender just looks over his shoulder and says, stupid boy. Now, that was depressingly predictable, but there you go. That was hateful. <laughs> was it really hateful? Was yes. It... <laughs> yes. It was weak. It was it, predictable. It was but weak it, and it was cute. Exactly, mm. yeah, but but, but it wasn't. But he, I... Leon Lavender might as well just look right at the camera and go, hmm. Mm, everything's as good as it used to be. Keep calm and carry on. Because of the unique way the BBC is funded, here's a tiger on top of Brian Wilson's <laughs> piano. Mm. Right, Captain Square, he was kind of the big rival. Ian Lavender. So, you're an actor. You're a good actor. You got a history of being good at acting. Here is a part. You will be in several scenes. You will have lines that advance the plot. You will have lines that will get laughs because you are Ian Lavender, the successful actor, and you deserve a decent part. There, Captain Square. Yeah, but do you not think that the producers are more likely to go down the cute cameo role? That they'll think that that will have a bigger impact? Well, that is why the world is going to hell. Well, exactly. I saw a poster on the side of a bus today for what I understand will be a new Halloween timed blockbuster movie and it's got Daniel Radcliffe in it and the name of the movie is Horns <coughs> and if that wasn't enough because already you're thinking well you know I need to look at <laughs> I need to look this up and find out where this is playing right in order to then hammer home the point it's got a photograph on this advert of Daniel Radcliffe with some horns are you saying that Daniel Radcliffe is appearing for Halloween in a remake of Saps at Sea? <laughs> horns! 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 Horns to the left of me! Horns to the right of me! Horns! Horns! I wish. But also I don't wish, because that would be horrible. So, I mean, there it is. I mean, that's your, your modern cinema advertisement. Daniel Radcliffe, look to your right. There's Daniel Radcliffe aforementioned. Hang on, what's that sticking at the top of his head? It's some horns. That looks interesting. He doesn't normally look like this. Move to your right. The word horns. Hey, horns. We just saw them sticking at the top of Daniel Radcliffe's head. I get it. Daniel Radcliffe's got horns. Go see it. Somebody go see it and send us a review. And if he had lavenders in it, let us know. So, recasting. We had to set some ground rules, didn't we? Because whenever we do these things, yeah, we need to set some boundaries. First was, don't be silly. So we're not going to say, right, the lovers, instead of Richard Beckinsale. Don Estelle. Yes. And instead of 
Paula Wilcox, it's going to be Dame Hilda Brackett. No, we're not doing that because that would be too easy. Well, we are a bit, aren't we? Because what we've actually arranged... I Hey, all, all the suggestions I've brought are plausible. Maybe some are more plausible than others, but I'm not just pulling stuff out of in crazy universes. No, actually, I think I have on one. No, oh, well. I, well, no okay, no, well, hang, let's, let's back up because we need to explain this properly. So hang on a second, mate. Basically, what we've done is that we've both scribbled down half a dozen recasting suggestions. We're going to give them out in alternate fashion. And five of them are absolutely straight down the middle legit. And one of them is taking slight liberties, but we still think that it could happen. There's, there's no bullshit here. We're right, is, is that what you understood to be the plan? Because no, I've, no, I've, no, 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 I'm not, operating not, off a different set of rules. It's, it's not what I understood to be the plan. It's what we actually agreed was going to be the plan no, about two days it ago. Was, <laughs> no, it's supposed to be five good or neutral ideas and one that would just kill a show. A recasting that is not impossible or insane, but one that would kill a show. One that would spoil it. Let me just link down my list. Yeah, I'll go with that. Okay, that's <laughs> fine. That's good. So, shall we toss to find out who goes first? Um, you, call, you call. Do you want me to find my Hawaiian dollar? Heads or tails? Did... Oh, you've got a coin there, because yep. that's what I used to settle an argument last time. Yeah, I've got, I've, I've got a coin. Go on then. Heads. Oh, it's tails. Right then. Okay, okay so... He thinks I had a coin deal, listener. Now, okay, so my first one... He thinks I care. Oh, my first one, I'm going to say that this is... This is my shoe-in, okay? So this is my absolutely guaranteed, no problem at all, there's not going to be any trouble with this, just to get things off on the right note. Nearest and dearest, the aforementioned, Nelly, Molly something. Yep. Now, funnily enough, I can't imagine Hilda Baker as Mrs. Slocum. <laughs> I don't think that would work. I think that she would be too dominant a character within the... What? I like the idea. Especially as it's an ensemble piece, putting it right in the middle of a definite ensemble piece and uh, alleged discomfort with other people getting applause and laughs. There's an interview out there with someone who had previously worked with someone who we think was Hilda Baker, who said, I used to work with this lady whose knuckles would go white with rage if anyone else got a laugh. You know, there's a story about Al Jolson working in the theatre, and when he'd go back to his dressing room, if somebody else was on stage, he'd turn on the taps in his dressing room. So the noise of rushing water would cover the sound of anybody else getting applause. <laughs> Molly Sugden, I can see that. She'd be a bit more in control of the performance, I think, because she's more of an actress and less of a turn. I wasn't going to change Eli. I was going to stick with Jimmy Jewell, actually. Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't necessarily see a problem with that. But yes, I think that Molly Sugden would be absolutely spot on for it. I, I don't think, think you're... she'd have done the pelvic thrusts. That You haven't watched that... I no, I know I have watched that Christmas one. Yes, I have, and so I don't think. Just, well, they're, they're almost. This wiggles really. I don't see Molly Sugden doing that. No, but I don't think there's necessarily any need for her to do it, and I don't even. The old ladies in the audience thought it was hilarious. Oh, some of the audience reactions, and that, that's actually. Part have you of... ever seen How to Irritate People? It's like Monty Python episode zero. John Cleese, Michael Palin, Tim Brooke Taylor, Graham Chapman, and others. And there's a bit where he talks about the pepper pots. 
Now, Python fans know what Pepper Potts refer to, but this is the one time that he actually explains, he actually calls Pepper Potts by name and explains it's really to do with the shapes of their bodies and the overcoats they wear, giving them that look. And this thing of him being in the cinema, and he's on one row, and behind him, or I think it's Michael Palin. Michael Palin's sitting on one row, and the row behind is a bunch of Pepper Potts. And they, like, scream when somebody says the word bedpan but are completely oblivious to any actual jokes. <laughs> that is part of the charm for me about Nears and Dears. It's part of the reason that I'm warming to it as a show is the audience reaction's always hyper. It's like there's a group of maybe 12 women in the front row and anything like like the most obvious innuendo, like something like, have you had it yet? And it would just get yes. absolute screeching. It would be like it suddenly dropped a sea bomb or something like that. I mean, what if they did? What would happen? What would the reaction be then? I think dead silence, actually, or a riot. Now, here's the thing. I've just said that I can't imagine Hilda Baker as Mrs. Slocum. As we said, I don't think she would work in an ensemble piece. However, I actually can envisage her in That's My Boy. Because as we spoke about yeah, the my... other day, That's My Boy, the rest of the cast. Yes. But the rest of the yeah. cast is just sort of, meh, just sort of there. Molly Sexton's really having to carry that show herself, so that would actually be pretty much ideal for Hilda Baker, wouldn't it? Is that your first one? My first one is Molly Tugden as Nelly in okay. Nears and Dears. I didn't know if you were going to change anybody else, because my first one, I've changed three people. Oh, outrage. Okay. On the buses. Way. Let's try and make this concept make a little bit more sense as regards all the dolly birds and Stan's success with them. Stan Peter Cleel. <sighs> Oh, okay. Do we have to explain Peter Cleel? Because I actually had to look his name up. If I'm not super familiar with somebody, we might be in a bit of trouble. So Peter Cleel plays, sir. Think of the guy who was like 10 years older than all the other kids in the class. Blonde hair at the front, making a lot of noise. Peter Cleel. You think that works? Yeah. I think Cause, I could. Yes, I Stan, do. I mean, really written as being in his... Mid to late 20s. He is supposed to be much younger than Reg Varney was. Well, here's a bizarre thing, because yes, I would say that Stan Butler is probably supposed to be in sort of late 20s, probably maximum early 30s, just given his home life and the type of clippies that he's usually going out with and so on. Now, I've just looked this up to check, and I had to double check and triple check, because I just did a complete double take. According to this... Reg Varney's Wikipedia entry, Reg Varney, when he began on the buses, was 52. When he began. And it's only really in that last series, that he's only in the first half of thereabouts, where he's pretty much going grey by this point. It really does. It just, it looks odd. It actually looks a bit like, how would you describe it? If you had, like, an older person playing a young role, I mean, what kind of description would you give that? In the same way as you have, like, well, for example... TV Tropes Robin... calls it Dawson casting. Okay. Because of that show. Is it called Dawson's Creek? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, I'm not sure that the TV Tropes entry for Dawson casting doesn't mention Reg Varney. I am still staggered by this. He was 52 when he began the role. Blimey. And they're always having to go at Blakey saying how old he is and what have you. He's supposed to be decrepit and what have you. Stephen Lewis is 44. Actually, TV Tropes has him as 53. Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> well, but yes, under Dawson casting, TV Tropes mentions on the buses, and they say that Stan is supposed to be in his late 20s. So Peter Cleel, 
as Stan. Jack, though, I don't think he's quite the same age, is he? No. Well, let's just check this. Have you got somebody else in mind for Jack? I've got a Jack, yes. Okay, we'll hold that thought. Okay, so when Bob Grant began the role of Jack, he was... Oh, he was a lot younger. Yeah, he was... 36. I think my Jack is older. Harry H. Corbett. <gasps> oh! Because you can just believe, though, that he might have a little bit more luck with the girls. That he's got a certain seen-it-all quality that I don't think Bob's Jack you'd believe. Now, dear listener, you can probably tell from my reaction there that we've got a potential difficulty coming up. But I'm going to hold my tongue. I'm not going to say anything just now. I'll hold this thought. and We'll come back to it shortly. So let's get this straight. You've got as... Stan, you've got Peter Cleo, and as Jack, you've got Harry H. Corbett. Yes. And as Blakey, Michael Sheard. A little bit more snarling aggression. Mm, Okay. Just somebody who deserves it more, because I think Stephen Lewis, I I feel sorry for him. He's at the end of his tether most of the time, but he's never genuinely menacing. I mean, I did toy with Bernard Hepton, but... I was just thinking that. Right now. <laughs> yes. And were you also aware that Michael Shear, of course, was in On the Buses? Oh, no, but it doesn't surprise me. Final series and also one of the films, he's the general manager. Also, he Devil. probably owned his own moustache because he played Hitler five or six times. But surely he would have had to so, trim his own moustache to play Hitler and then grow it back I in. imagine he just kept one on the bedside table. Oh, you mean, oh, he, he actually had case. a specific Hitler tash that he could stick on. I would on. imagine so, yes. Right, okay. With his name sewn in. Property of Southern Television. So, no. do you think that would be a watchable on the buses? I'm going to have to say no, and there's okay. a reason why I'm going to have to say no. I'll give you Michael Sheard as Blakey. Yes, I could see that. I could see that working. But, okay, the absolute honest truth here, as my second recasting, this is what I had on the page in front of me. On the buses, Stan, Harry H. Carpet. Ah, okay. Interesting. Now, I think you've got these two the wrong way around. Because Harry H. Carbett, I think that he could play the role of Stan. Because Stan's always like the sort of the loser. Whereas Peter Cleo... But I was trying to abolish his middle-agedness. I was trying to get rid of... I was trying to make Stan young. And I thought we can we can push that onto He's going to be younger Jack, than Red Barney. I can see... I don't mean just younger than Reg Varney, I meant actually a young man. Robertson here was probably younger than Reg Varney. The thing is, Peter Cleal, I could definitely see as Jack. Peter Cleal is absolutely perfect for Jack. But the other way around, no, I'm not buying this. Those times when Jack pulls rank on Stan would, I think, would be a bit unbalanced if Jack is quite obviously visibly, not just in terms of what's on the birth certificate, quite obviously significantly younger. Right. Have we said it would be odd? Harry H. Corbett, born 1925, so he would have been, let's say, 44. Yeah, So, but I'm keeping Jack middle-aged, but I'm saying that his success with the Clippies is he's got this fake man-of-the-world thing going on. Oh, no, you're right there, because Peter Cleo was actually born in 1944. He would only have been 24. Some of the stunts that Jack pulls on Stan, after a while, Stan to just fill him in. <laughs> But, but why I, don't, don't, I don't care that you're superior to me. Smack. Why, why don't we think that then? Because it looks like, okay, here we've got 20-year age gap. Okay, now with 
Reg Farnley and Bob Grant, you've got about a sort of 60, that's why I said that's why I said absorbed. obviously visibly noticeably yeah different I mean, rather not, than just what's written on the birth certificates. Could you not make Peter Cleal up to be a tad older? I mean Peter, I mean if you're going to do that, just get David Jason. <laughs> I was blank because though. let's face it. Again, mentioning real life near misses David Jason as Corporal Jones because for a while David Jason was the guy you aged up. Okay, so instead of having David Jason as Stan, which I think definitely could have worked, I think we've actually mentioned that before, I could definitely imagine David Jason as as Stan in 1968, but David Jason as Blakey. Yes. Again, I think he'd give him a a bit more aggression than Stephen Lewis has. Okay, here's a funny thing, because I said that Stephen Lewis is made up to look older as Blakey, so don't make him up. Stephen Lewis is Jack. Yeah, he'd soften the part, wouldn't he? But why is he so successful with the Clippies? Why is Bob Grant successful with the Clippies? Yeah, well, this, this is my thing. I'm tr- I was trying to recast to make, to brush away those questions. I, th- I thought I'd quite successfully done it. Maybe I haven't. I think it's throwing me because there I was staring at my page saying, oh, I've got a perfect guy for Stan, Harry H. Corbett, and then... Below me, he suddenly ended up with a <laughs> roll of So Jack. have you got any other... Right, so, so we're on on the buses thing. I've had, I've said my piece. So you've got Terry H. Corbett as Stan. Have you got any other Jacks, Blakey's or, or Olive's or Michael Robbins' man? Arthur. Stan's mum, Patricia Hayes. Now, I don't think that would be too much of a leap. I don't think it would change things too much. Have you got any ideas that would change things for the better? Put right what once went wrong. Olive. Sheila Stiefel. Hang on a minute. You've got... Harry H. Corbett and Sheila Stiefel on the same set. Oh, yeah. Give me some tensions. Maybe not. I don't know. Blakey, and we're keeping the connection here with, please, sir, Derek Geiler. No! Why wouldn't they come on? Now, what's wrong with that? He's too lovable. He is, but we're casting him against type. He's worried about getting typecast. So we're going to give him a role where he can be a little bit of a pantomime villain. Who doesn't want to play a pantomime villain every once in a while? Because he can still do Sykes as well. I have difficulty well. imagining it. I'm not saying it wouldn't have worked, but... He can do Sykes as well, so he can be PC Corky on the other side. So he still gets to preserve that type of character at the same time. But are we saying then that in this universe, Place Sir, we've left entirely by itself, so you've got Peter Creel and Derek Geiler recording on the buses at London Weekend. I'm, and then I'm the not next concerned day... about universal integrity this time. Every idea is just individual, just... Okay, well, I think... Do you know this one? I'm actually going to put this out to the listening public. Dear listeners, if you can let us know who would you rather Harry H. Corbett portrayed, Stan or Jack, let us know. Tweet us at the Sitcom Club or reply at the Sitcom Club on Facebook and let us know. Harry H. Corbett, Stan or Jack. And I'm going to give you Michael Sheard as Blakey. Yes, I think that's, I think that's a good one. You know what I've been watching recently and what is the most middle-class sitcom ever? After Henry. I'm, it's mostly good. I'm not knocking it, but I don't know. There's something about it that means I couldn't watch two episodes back-to-back. So I thought, oh, I'll shake it up a bit. I've only recast two of the three, but I thought, right, I'm taking out Prunella Scales as Sarah and switching her with Julia McKenzie. Oh. Because I think that knocks Sarah down a step in the class ladder. Not that Julia McKenzie has no class, but I think you'd get a slightly more lower middle-class discomfort. Or you could if, you know, she can take direction. That's what you tell her to play. And then, as Eleanor Prescott, her mother, played by John Sanderson, your old friend Molly Sogden. 
Ooh. because uh, I know the idea behind the show was three generations of women in the same house, but I thought let's also slightly change the class. I'm going to leave Janine Wood in place as Claire, the daughter. So I just want the sense that there are almost three slightly different shades of class in the house now. That Eleanor has been working class, maybe married a step above herself, which means Sarah's been brought up in a slightly lower middle class atmosphere. Henry was a doctor, so that's pushed up another class. So Claire has been brought up upper middle class. That was just the idea I was throwing out there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I like that. I could Eleanor, has actually, Eleanor has actually grown up in a terraced house, not necessarily bread and dripping for every meal, but she's grown up. Sarah, semi-detached. That's my idea. Who's the chap who plays the fellow in the bookshop? Jonathan Newth as Russell Bryant. I had no big changes for him. I've got somebody in mind for that role. Oh, great. Okay. Derek Nimmo. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, why? (laughs) Because, Because the whole thing about Russell is that he was supposed to be one of the big leaps forward in portrayals of gay characters. I just sort of think... That I'm sort of picturing Derek Nemo as if he was at sort of full pelt on just a minute. I'm imagining him playing this character sort of two or three notches higher than it should be, uh, to the point where you think just. That's just, the thing. I think Nemo's effeteness would then combine with the character's sexuality, and it would look a bit weird and stereotypical. Okay, Patrick Parlow. Yes, why not? Yeah. I don't think it would change anything, except for Jonathan Youth's bank balance. <laughs> but no, I'm liking this. Yes, I can definitely, I could definitely envisage this. I've got one suggestion to replace Prunella Skills to replace Julian McKenzie, but I'm not sure when did After Henry begin? On the television in 1988. Okay, I'm thinking that perhaps she might have been a bit too young for it at this point because she was just about to play the role of Izzy in Up the Garden Path on ITV around about 89, 90. Imelda Staunton. I think she's middle, middle class, isn't she? What the hell kind of conversation is this? <laughs> is middle, middle class a thing? It must is, be. Isn't, isn't, sure that just middle, some, isn't that just middle class? I'm sure class? there's some marketing agency that has as many class differences as there are colours in the visible spectrum. In fact, no, I I imagine there are some people who are infrared middle class. Right, so what's the difference between middle class and middle middle class? You don't go to the opera (laughs) quite as much as somebody who's upper middle class, but you don't fall back on semi-vulgar forms of entertainment as much as the lower middle class. I'm going to say that middle class, you go to Sainsbury's and middle middle class you go to Waitrose. Although you could occasionally be tempted either way, but your choice of default, so to speak. I've got one which I am 100% confident of. I'm not entirely confident about the potential swap, but we'll come to that in a second. Yes, Minister? Ah, I toyed with that and I thought, you know, I can't imagine anybody else in these roles. Bernard. Christopher Strolley. I think we'd have the problem that all new 21st century Yes Prime Minister had. Bernard was too weak. He was a boy. What I like about Yes Minister, Yes Prime Minister, original flavour, Derek Folds Bernard is, he is slightly out of his depth, 
but he's not a big boy man who would be out of his depth anywhere. And of course, we know Bernard's future. He's going to be Sir Bernard. He's going to be head of the civil service. The last series, yes, Prime Minister, there is a slight sense of the rise of Bernard. He's beginning to learn how to resist Sir Humphrey. I'm not casting aspersions on Christopher Strawley's acting range. I just think the temptation there would be for the director to fall back on. That's the problem with sometimes with these recasting things. It makes it sound like we think these actors are no good. We're recasting them because we're going to say that if you change the casting, it's not so much they'd do a better job, it's that the production would move towards their centre of gravity. Christopher Strawley, I'm sure he could have done it, but I think there's always the risk that other parts of the production would push him into his bunny style. Mm -hmm. Well, this is the thing, because I wasn't... At first, I'm sort of thinking, yes, if he was playing it exactly like Norman, then, yeah, he would just appear just too thin-skinned for this world. I mean, he really shouldn't be in the civil service or in politics in any way. But I'm not imagining him in exactly the same way. And that's why, when I said before, I'd had difficulty imagining the swap, if we were going to do that. It changes everything. I can't everything. really imagine Derek Folds. As... I'm just thinking the line, probably one of the stupidest things Bernard ever says, there's that whole question about, should the hacker wear glasses or not? One looks serious and authoritative, the other looks open. Because goes, how about a monocle? If you just pitch up slightly, it becomes completely... How about a monocle? <laughs> yeah, then you start to wonder, Baron, how did you actually get this far in the civil service? Well, I wasn't going to recast Jim Hacker or Sir Humphrey, because I, I, I did think about that, but I just I can't imagine anybody else playing those roles. Same as yourself. So. Well, I'm going to bring one of mine forward. This was number four on my list, but I'll bring it forward to number three reasons. This is not supposed to improve the show. Most of the times I'm trying to improve the show or make it more cohesive. This I am agnostic about, but I would like to see the results. I'm not saying this would kill the show. This is not my kill the show suggestion. Reginald Perrin, Derek Nimmo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because, as has already been mentioned, Ronnie Barker was considered for the role of Perrin. And I've said this on a previous cast, I know. That would have been... The small man, I know he's not the little man, he's reasonably comfortable, he's got a decent job, but there is that sense that he is the cog, he is not somebody with all the power he needs in his life, sent mad by the system. And Leonard Rossiter's Perrin is latent madness finally bursting out, but he was always going to go crazy at some point. Nimmo, weird wavering quality. I'm not sure you'd be entirely sure where he was going to go next. I think the whole thing could fall to bits with him, but I'm not entirely sure it would have. Just a different flavour like of desperation. It. Yes, I like it. I think there is... Now, are we sticking to the same cast otherwise? Yes, I hadn't got any any other plans. Because you actually mentioned Bernard Hepton earlier on. Who did you have him... You said, oh, what, you said you, about you're thinking Hepton of Bernard Hepton as CJ. Yes, because well, you said you had more menace mm -hmm. as CJ. Yes, I can see that working. Yes, I think it would be harder to bring CJ back later in in subsequent series as one of the gang. I think you'd be more against CJ than you are with the John Barron version, who's just a pompous blowhard. I can see it. I think that actually, I did have one other idea, but for taking one member of the cast and dropping them in it, let's take Jeffrey Palmer out and have him as Reggie. Ooh, yes. Ah, yeah, I'm actually preferring that to Derek Because he would be very much harder to read 
is he being sent mad by the system? Is the madness always there? Yes, I like that. I actually prefer it to Dirty No More. Yes, I think that okay, works very well. No, that was my idea. Yeah, definitely. Okay, no. <laughs> yes, give me a suggestion which I'm not sure about, and say, "Well, I had this other idea. That's much better." Yeah. In that case, who are we going to get to recast Jeffrey Palmer's role? Because then we've got a gap. Richard Todd. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, it could work. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. John Mills. No. No, hang on. Right. Michael Horden. <laughs> you think about Michael Horden is, I think he'd make Jimmy a bit seedier. <laughs> it's a bit like Cecil Parker in the, the Lady Killers. There's that sense that, what exactly did you get caught doing <laughs> brought you so low? And do I necessarily want to know about it? <laughs> oh, hang on. Philip Maddock. Oh, <laughs> With Philip Maddock, I can believe the far-right element as well when he starts forming that army. He could have a slightly wild look in his eye. Yeah, I like Yes, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, then, so... By the way, it's not quite a recasting idea I have here, so much as importing an idea, but I really hope that the ultimate final season finale of Mad Men is Don Draper walking into a restaurant and ordering three courses of ravioli. <laughs> It's your turn, Unket. <laughs> okay, here we go. Now, I, this is not my reckless show thing. Now, I, I'm not sure that you're going to go with this, but I want you to think about it, okay? And much like Christopher Strolley, this is not intended to have the person in question playing the role that he was most known for. I'm crediting him with a bit of range here, okay? So I think he can do this. Man About the House for Robin Ian Lavender. It'd be closer to Three's Company, wouldn't it? Yes, he's yeah, not quite yeah. as nebbishy as John Ritter. That's the fella, but it would send it in a different direction. Yes, I think sometimes with, with certainly with early gruffer George, unless you're going to recast George, he'd look a bit worse. So yeah, well, are we, well, we going to give him the Planet of the Apes sideburns and? Yeah, what the hell? No, the, the thing is, strangely enough, Ian Lavender actually does appear in Man About the House in one episode. Yeah, we'll make him up. We'll give him the dark hair and sideburns and what have you. And There's still something a bit fresh-faced about him, which Richard O'Sullivan doesn't have. Not saying Richard O'Sullivan doesn't look like a young man, but he just looks like somebody who's got a certain amount of life experience, a certain amount of resistance, whereas Ian Lavender just looks a little bit... The atmosphere he's grown up in has been slightly more rarefied. But surely you could give him the odd bit of... I don't mean coarse language, but surely you could give him like the odd little bit of earthy dialogue or a semi-coarse language or I something along those lines. I think he could sell it. Oh, I mean, Ian Lavender's got a history of getting his laugh when he's supposed to in the way he's meant to, so I think he'd acquit himself well. So I'm fairly sure about this, but I'll give you an alternative, if you prefer, because it just occurred to me just now, what about the aforementioned Christopher Strolley? You ever seen the Victoria Wood as seen on TV yes. sketch? Where, yes. Yes. Is yes. that what you <laughs> Let's just redo the show as that then. Have, <laughs> have Chrissy and Joe a pair of horrible snobs with no brains whatsoever. <laughs> and then you're really on George and Mildred's side anytime they have a knife. In fact, you're just saying, why do you even keep them there? Just nail up the door <laughs> and forget about it. Move on with your lives. <laughs> Did you have any ideas for. Chrissy and Joe, or George and I wasn't. No, I wasn't. Or that I wasn't. Block in the attic. No, I. Oh, that block in the attic. Okay, well, because I'm thinking. Hey, okay, Ian Lavender is the guy in the attic. Oh, and I don't know about that. Ian Lavender is a nice young man 
I think there'd be a bit of softness. But I think Ian Lavender could go Jack the Lad with real verve. I'm not entirely sold on Ian Lavender as Larry, but I'll give you an alternative. I just think when he doesn't have to put the brakes on how laddish he is, he could go for it. If he's not bothered about being likeable, I think it'd give him a bit more freedom. Viz, come back Mrs. Noah. Yes, indeed. I mean, we did say before we thought about Trevor Bannister for that role, come back Mrs. Noah. But then, you know, again, it's, it's a little bit too similar then to, okay, to Mr. Okay, Bob Grant is Larry. <laughs> um, do we actually think that Chrissy and Joe... They don't would... actually know he's in the attic either. He sort of creeps down at night. Russell Hunter. <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> I'm the one who put the silly rule in place and I'm the one who's breaking it the most. Right. Russell Hunter is just downright weird. And... Bob Grant, do you seriously think that Chrissy, Joe, or even Larry would ever let him into the flat? I mean, Larry's always coming in to borrow like stuff and what have you. Forget it. They're just going to get extra bolts and padlocks and shit, aren't they? No. So, I... so did we have any more man about the Well, house I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you one for Larry. And okay. then I'm going to turn the world on its head. For Larry, Peter Blake. Hey! Mind you, this is... 70s Peter Blake. This is Pepsi Cola Peter Blake. He's cool. Yeah, well, yes, he is, but you can sort of. Would he not be too cool? Too cool for school? I don't. Would he not just be like the Fonz times 10? Would he just walk in, click his fingers, and Chrissy and Joe, one on each arm? (laughs) Well, it's funny you say that because now I'm going to turn the world on its head and sideways, right? Peter Blake is Robin. Yes, I can see it completely, and I think. The only problem with that, we would have lost a great sleazeball. I think that would have fixed him in the hearts and minds of the nation as a nice young man. The thing is that when he was playing the sleazeball, that was sort of 10, 15 years later, so could he not have progressed into that role? Typecasting is a cruel process, and I think he might have... What a cruel thing. He might have fallen victim to people thinking he was nice. Right. Not that there really is not really is any problem with people thinking he's nasty. He's made a nice career out of it. He's one of our favourites. Let's just get that out there. We like Peter Blake because he's he's funny when he's nasty and he's cool when he's cool. And he went to Hollywood, to actual Hollywood, <laughs> to shoot one of those Pepsi adverts. I recognize I thought I'm gonna find out where the intersection is. But I thought that is not a backlot in the UK. That is real Hollywood, I can just tell. I have an old suggestion. But I think that there could be a difficulty here with public perception. But we'll come back to that in a second. I'm going to put Peter Blake back into the role of Laddie for a moment. So we have a vacancy for Robin. Could say Richard Beckinsale for Robin. Now, the problem arises that Richard Beckinsale and Paula Wilcox have already been seen together in The Lovers. So will people then accept them both in this? Or is this going to feel... Odd. Is it going to feel like, oh, we're all supposed to reset our minds and memories about Lovers then and pretend that didn't happen? Or are people going to sort of get mixed up with the two you shows? You know what? I think the Lovers would end up as even more of a footnote than it already is. I think that's what would have happened. The only thing is, is there's a little touch of lechery about O'Sullivan's Robin that works. Gives some of his jokes a little kick. Right, okay, right, hit me with it. What have you got? Okay, so staying on Matters O'Sullivan, Trouble in Mind. Now, this is one where I'm trying to put the thing back on its rails. This is another one of my fixes. Because there was just something too cosy, too comfortable. We're going to talk about Trouble in Mind at some point down the line. I know I've been promising it. It's the new spats. I know, fine. So we need something 
a little bit more acerbic about Dr. Charlesworth. Maybe let's make him a little less of a former screen idol, a little bit less of a 70s pin-up guy in the 90s. Graham Garden. Oh. He's not necessarily allowed to show it as much in his screen career, but I think he can turn on the charm. So you can understand why some of the women are chasing after him. But I don't think it would be quite the same because he's not really a smoothie. Really, you think, oh, right, they're drawn to his powerful intellect. So he, it wouldn't seem quite as cloying when he's complaining about all these women. Oh, man, these sexy women all, all want to get with me. Because <laughs> oh. Richard O'Sullivan, you think, that's what you're there for, sir. <laughs> Whenever Robert Powell's not available to take all of Penn's people out on a date, <laughs> which happened. I did. So with Graham Garden, it's like, oh, well, yes, you're a man of the mind. I'm sure that there's something uncomfortable about this. So Mrs. Charlesworth, Susan Penhalligan, once described as the British Bardot, she's too lovely. Again, not laying the blame at her door. It's the direction that a production could go in based on previous reputation. For some of this to make sense, we do need the idea that he has married a goddess. But we need to introduce an element of mockery to the proceedings. Right, so what I'm saying is Mrs. Charlesworth, Madeline Smith. Ooh. Because she is a former dolly bird, but she was always making fun of it. She was always a mockery of the dolly bird. Yes, I'm liking this. Now, okay. Yeah, I can definitely see Madeline Smith. Graham Garden, I think he's going to change the nature of the show somewhat, but I think it would actually be for the better. Because I, I can't really see, even if it was originally written... Well, that was my plan. That was my whole idea, was this was going to fix the show. This was going to take out some of that slightly sickly atmosphere. Yes. I think you do realise that there is one major error with this. You may not have considered this, but the younger Richard Sullivan in the main role don't really think he's going to want to do the title music for the series. He can ask his mate Bill Oddie. <laughs> and he does one of his little... Maybe funky, yeah. Yeah, cause... he does one of his little instrumentals for the middle of the goodies. Okay, yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, no, I do, I like this. And so, yeah, get rid of the whole sort of oddly twee and yet disconcerting opening and just have it as, oh, you know, psychiatry, what's that all about then? And yeah, I think, no, I'm liking this actually. I think this could be, I think it'd be quite a different show, but for the better. Let's let's see what you've got. Okay, returning to Grace Brothers, I'm pleased to say that Molly Sugden is in the role of Mrs. Slocum, not Hilda Baker. However, we do have one cast change, and replacing Trevor Bannister in the role of Mr. Lucas, Christopher Beanie. What's Mr. Lucas supposed to be like, really? Because he's an odd combination under Trevor Bannister, as End of Part 1 makes fun of him for talking like Hancock. Is he Jack the Lad? Is he long-suffering, middle-aged man? Where is he? And of course, he's whatever they need for the gag to work. Well, I think there's. Yes, I think there's yeah. possibly a case of that he's not entirely happy in the role. I think there's an element of that. Yes, I think there's an element of getting him to fit the plot role and precise characterization. But I would. It's hard said... to tell which he'd rather be playing. Would he rather be playing the grumpy Hancockish Lucas, or would he rather be playing Jack the Lad Lucas? I'm going to approach this from the way that he's portrayed from day one. Because remember, of course, that with Are You Being Served, Trevor Bannister was actually the main man in the frame 
lead member of the cast when it began and much of the focus in these early episodes is on Mr. Lucas and he's sort of our conduit into the odd goings on in this rather dusty old Grace Brothers store. I think that as a jack o lad figure, obviously keen to earn his wage but at the same time just can't keep civil tongue in his head and finds the protocols and just the overall stuffiness of the place too amusing for his liking and can't help but mention that out loud I think that's what I've got Christopher Beanie in mind for whereas yes as you say later on later series yeah the role is is much more just you know what the the plot dictates Christopher Beanie is Mr Lucas I'm, I'm really just seeing Mr Spooner he's a bit more goofy He's not really a lecherous lad. It's just like, I like a joke. Come on. Ho ho. I think that, yes, I think you're right. I think he would be a little bit more goofy. But whereas Mr. Spooner always seems just pretty laid back, I think that Christopher Beanie would get across the all-important aspect, which Trevor Bannister's Mr. Lucas refers to quite a bit in those first couple of series, that as much as he likes to piss about and joke with everyone and make fun of Cat and Peacock and so on he's got to earn his living and he doesn't really want to be back out at the labour exchange so he does actually want to keep the job and he's always going on about how broke he is and how he needs this commission and you know come on let me have a sniff for sale I've not had anything all day and so on I think that Christopher Beanie could communicate that quite well I think that he would come across as slightly vulnerable in that sense yeah I think it would work Here's a show killer. Here's a show killer for you. Frankie Howard as Humphreys. <laughs> no, because one of the ideas that I rejected early on because I couldn't really think of anywhere to take it was John Inman as Lurkio. And then just for a moment, I turned it around and thought, oh, that's a disastrous idea. Okay. Donald Hewlett as Captain Peacock. <laughs> yes. Yes, definitely. The only reason I giggle is I said a sudden flash again of Michael Horden and Cecil Parker. Was it an honourable discharge? <laughs> what colour was it? <laughs> You've now got me thinking about John Inman as Lurkio. I'm not really seeing this, but I suppose I can give it a go. Well, in that case, then, you're saying that Frankie Howard is Mr. Jones. I'm not seeing that at all. Oh! That, that's that a, I'm not that's buying. A ki- okay, here's a show killer. Frankie Howard in absolutely anything other <laughs> than what he did. <laughs> okay, now here's one. Not a sitcom, but Frankie Howard legitimately felt that he was perfect for the Generation game after Bruce Forsyth and lobbied Bill Cotton for the role. We talked about this, though, didn't we, that he couldn't think on his feet. Well, that's where Isle Sinclair comes in, because she's running the Ah. show. She's actually organising things. So, in that case, John Inman to host the Generation game. Oh, he'd have a great time, wouldn't he? But hang on a minute. Larry Grayson as Mr. Humphreys. I can I can see that. I could picture that. I think yeah, again, just about. But I think it would just about muddle along. I'm not quite sure it would take flight quite the same way as it I did. I think it would end up as more of a Lanny Grayson vehicle where he was frequently breaking the fourth wall. Yes. And so on, rather than being an ensemble piece. Like Slinger's Day was in my broken memory. This one is really stretching things. Is this your going to break the show suggestion? No. Because that's my final one in my day. This is this is my breaking history suggestion to us. Because we have to take two actors and we can't have them actually be in the show at the time the show is made. We have to take the show and push it backwards in time and have the show made about thirty years earlier than it really was. Just recently 
left is Donald Sinden and Windsor Davis, who is still with us, from Never the Twain. But they're not going to be in Never the Twain. Donald Sinden, Windsor Davis, in Vicious. Oh, yeah, ah, now then, okay, right. I'm thinking Donald Sinden in the Ian McKellen role as the more famous actor doing his full declamatory bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing this. Yes, I can I see I think it. Windsor Davis could camp it up a little. You, right, we've now got this being made in the mid-80s where it'll be seen as much more offensive. We've got two straight actors <laughs> playing the parts. <laughs> let's just leave this alone because otherwise we're going to be pl- terrible enemies of No, I've, I've got an idea that'll take care of the whole thing. Right, okay. Split screen. <laughs> David Jason playing both roles. Basically two camp blancos. And that's the name of the show as well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm, I'm going to throw it back to you because that was not actually meant to be an entirely serious suggestion. Okay, I was well, a bit shocked that I, you handled it. <laughs> I was waiting for you to chase me off saying, shut up. <laughs> okay, it's your turn. It's your turn now. Okay, well, this is my final roll of the dice. And according to what I understood to be the rules, this is my slightly daft suggestion, but I still think it could work with a hell of a lot of attention. So, dear mother, love Albert. In the role of Albert, placing Rodney Buse, Edward Woodward. I haven't seen dear mother, love Albert. Okay, imagine Rodney Buse in The Like of the Lads. Now you have. Rodney Buse moves down to London, and he's playing it as Bob Ferris, and his boss is Garfield Morgan. And he's got a thing for Sheila White, who is the daughter of the landlady that he's staying with. So that, that's it. That's all you need to know about it. So what do you reckon then? Edward Woodward bursts in there, way hey, and he's writing these letters to dear mother saying how he's trying to fit in with London society and so on. And it's full of all these rough boys. But, you know, he's doing his best. And he's wearing his. his is vest. he making any adjustments to his accent at all? Because he's from Croydon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Whereas Rodney Buse, I think, is from Bingley. Right. Now, the way that I was going to play this was remember we watched that episode of Callan for Drama Club? Now, you know the way that Callan puts on that act when he's trying to meet the woman who he's got to get close to in order yes, to and then he's all, capture. Yes, he's all shy and sad. That, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about Edward Woodward as Callan. I'm oh, no, about, I, was, I, I yeah. knew you weren't going to. <laughs> Edward Though Woodward. I think you could put Edward Woodward in a sitcom in non-killing Callan mod. You know, as I've said, his Ello Darling quality. Dear Mother, love the equaliser. Now, when you say... Love the Equalizer. You're not talking about the 1980s Edward Woodward version. You're saying, "Dear Mother, love Albert. Albert is played by Denzel Washington." <laughs> that's that's the plan, and I'm with you a hundred percent of the way. And we're not moving this around. What year was Dear Mother, Love Albert made? 1970. 1970. <laughs> Denzel Washington was born in 1954, but them's the bricks. There you go. You've got a 16-year-old Denzel Washington, and he is pretending to be from the north of England. And he's just moved down, and yes, he is wearing his vest. Okay. I like it. Okay. That's me. I've got my cards on the table. There you go. So I now await your final suggestion. Well, my show-wrecking one was meant to be plausible a bit, but it wasn't meant to be quite so comedic. May to December. 
from After Henry, we have ported over Janine Wood. Remember, this is supposed to be almost imaginable, but it kills it. As Alec Callender, Peter Bowles. Because I think the dynamic would be, he's a bit of an old smoothie. And she's a bit too young. Janine Wood, only three years younger than Eve Matheson, who was in the first two series of May to December. But conversely, Peter Bowles, three years younger than Anton Rogers. But I think there'd be a sure souring change of dynamic. <laughs> and it will be despite everybody's best efforts. Everybody will be trying their best. But I think there'd still be this sense that the smooth Peter Bowles was drawing this poor innocent young girl into his orbit of silky seduction. And yes, I did consider Leslie Phillips. <laughs> Casanova 89. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm picturing this. Yes, I think this is feasible. You know what we need to do next? Right, instead of just recasting... Dudley Sutton. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I've got it, I've got it. For old lazy. Well, this is part of my problem. Initially, my idea, sketching my ideas now, I thought, right, I need a sweeter, more innocent Zoe than we have in the show. I thought... <laughs> Rebecca Lacey, that's a fantastic... Oh, God, she's already in the damn show. <laughs> not so much that that was against the rules, but I thought it's not really that much of an impressive thing. Somehow, I'd managed to have Ashley Jensen completely overwrite Rebecca Lacey's 750 series before that. May to December, there are 39 episodes, which is a hell of a lot for a British sitcom. If you have Ronald Lacey's Alec Callender, do you make the secretary his daughter? Because otherwise, you're going to say... They have the same shape head. They don't look like each other facially exactly, but it would. It's a bit like it reminds me of. Um, you ever seen the show Monk, the American detective show? And there's just a few times when Tony Shalhoub gets his brother in for incidental parts, and there's one where it's particularly noticeable because he's he seems to have got the same haircut. Why is nobody mentioning that that guy standing right there has the same face as their friend? Look at him, everybody! But the characters didn't turn around. So much for interactive TV. The thing is, I've got to be honest, I was actually going to just pour Harris from Porridge over to May to December. I was going to see if we could swing it that he actually would be Harris, just in 13 years' time. So if you're saying that you think that Peter Bowles is going to come across as ever so slightly seedy, then what on earth is Harris going to come across as? Not so much Peter Bowles as seedy, but just, just something... Just something working against this show working. I don't know if it would have got to a, a third series, certainly. To conclude, we have to accept one of each other's suggestions and now make it law. So I'm going to propose Michael Sheard as Blakey. I'm going to give you that, and we're actually going to re-edit the Radio Times Guide to Comedy. That's going to go in as a fact. Okay. Okay, so which one of my choices would you like to re-edit the British Comedy Guide for? I can't remember any of them. I'll give you Ian Lavender's Robin, Man About the House. I'll take it. We've learned nothing. Today. I think we've learned that recasting is something which is possible, but it is fraught with all manner of difficulties. Not least of which is, do you cast according to type? Do you cast against type? And also, you've got to bear in mind the kind of roles that people have played beforehand as well, and will the public actually accept them in those roles? I mean, the occasional instance of Richard Briers playing somebody not particularly nice and then getting negative feedback from the audience as a result. 
But didn't even mention Richard Briars. Well, we may come back in the future with recastings free. Who knows? We may do recastings free entirely from listener suggestions. How about that? If we do, we'll give you plenty of warning, dear listener. If you're still in the mood for more sitcom chat, then don't despair, because you can find all the previous sitcom clubs at sitcomclub.com. There are 55 shows in the archive, I believe. In the meantime, you have been Ocho. I have. You almost said that with a question mark at the end. I've been Mooncat. Might get recast, you never know. Ah. I've been Mooncat, and this has been the Sitcom Club. <laughs>